Welcome to Is This Scary? This is Zach. This is Phil. This is Shelby. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, belated Hanukkah, and whatever holiday that you celebrate at this time. It is part two of our holiday special. We're doing Black Christmas 1974. I'm so excited about this one. <laughs> yeah, this is great. And one of the reasons we really wanted to do this is if you hadn't noticed, when we talk about what's our favorite horror, all three of us picked different slasher franchises. Mm-hmm. And this is the granddaddy. Like, yeah. it's been pointed to. I know yours came out the same year, but this is the one that has all the tropes in it. 1974. Uh, yeah, this technically mine came out. Uh, like six months beforehand. But yes, yes <laughs> this has all the troops in it. Yeah. I was going to say, because the first the first uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a is different kind of film. It's yeah. a different film. kind of movie. Yeah. yeah, This is a slasher movie. Yeah. yeah, It's called a proto-slasher, but I mean, to be fair, the number of things that are in this movie that John Carpenter <laughs> just straight lifted, yeah. like he didn't pay homage, he stole. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's it's surprising. I mean, watching this film, and I watched this film several times in a very short period of time, and I was like, John Carpenter took a lot from this film, and I was like, I mean, it's only four years later, and the first Halloween came out. So I mean, right. Well, and the thing that's really interesting as well is the director, Bob Clark, A Christmas Story, Porky's. No, Porky's. Like that's a movie. Well, and Baby Geniuses. <laughs> but it's weird. So he starts off with this really disturbing psychological slasher. Like, this is his first big movie. And then he does a raunchy comedy, mm-hmm. does a family Christmas movie, and then apparently just stays in the family comedy genre after that. Emphasis on ra- uh, raunchy. Oh, yeah. That's a movie that will never be made again. And going back to that, I'm like, Christmas Story is my favorite Christmas movie. I watch it for 24 hours every single year. And when I watch that and compare it to this, it's so different. Like, you don't really get... It's a very different style. You don't really get that many, the same vibes, even just like the cinematography and stuff like that. It's not the same. It is very, very different in comparison to this. So, question for both of you. Do you know what inspired this movie? I have a feeling, but go ahead, Phil. So, two things specifically inspired it. The one being a urban legend called The Babysitter yes. and The Man Upstairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other one was a a series of murders that took place in Montreal. And specifically, uh, West, Mount, West Mount neighborhood of Montreal, Quebec. So, mm-hmm. And going off of that as well... <clears throat> That also leads into why this film had a hard time being released. And they actually had to change the name for the film several times, actually. Well, yeah, because the... I say three, because in the uh, rough draft, mm-hmm. it, well, the, his first writing of it, the movie's name was Stop Me. Mm-hmm. It was also be, Silent it, Night, Evil Night. Yeah, and that... Because that's the original, original mo- uh, mm-hmm. title. That they were going to go with. And I think the other one might have been like The Stranger Upstairs or something like that. But that gives away too much. Although they don't really, they don't go anywhere to hide that fact though. Because the opening scene is, we'll we'll call him Billy. Mm -hmm. Because that's what he ends up calling himself in the movie. Billy the serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. But it opens with Billy walking up on the house and climbing the trellis outside that just happens to lead into the attic. And then he lives in the attic. Yep. Yeah. He's Attic Boy. <laughs> attic Boy. <laughs> well, we assume boy. Yeah. What I find really interesting about that particular juxtaposition 
is that when you look at it, when Billy walks upon the house, mm-hmm. the attic light is off. Mm-hmm. So nobody's been in the attic, but he specifically has called this house before. And so this is his ramping up. This is his evolution as yeah. a killer. It's, okay, so I've bothered these people. I've disturbed all of these women. Now it's time to go in the house. It's, yep. it's time to play. And Billy, the whole concept of Billy and just like the basic plot of this film is... These sorority girls, I don't even know the name of the sorority. I never can get the names right. Anymore. Don't they can't they get the can name either. I know. They're inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> so these sorority girls keep on getting obscene phone calls. And I mean like obscene, disturbing phone calls. So, yeah, within the first three minutes. Well, go ahead, Phil. For example, the plaque hanging outside the uh, sorority is Pi Kappa, uh, Kappa Sigma. And the plaque hanging inside is Pi Beta Phi. They <laughs> can't get it right. <laughs> so e- they don't know. Either way, they keep on getting obscene phone calls. They even call the caller the moaner because he does that a yeah. lot. And he leaves a phone call and then he takes out one of the sorority girls. Right. And that first phone call is something. That one I would give a trigger warning. Yeah. Immediately out, out the gate. And we're talking, this is three, four minutes into the movie, and they are dropping the C word left and right, mm-hmm. ex- talking about explicit sexual acts. I mean, there's no holding back. And then just straight up, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and the worst part about it is, this is definitely like a day or three before Christmas Eve. This is all, this is Christmas week, and one of the girl, the girl that he takes out is upstairs packing to go home and spend Christmas with her parents. Aww. Yeah, sure, I, I guess... To keep some of this, um, the spoilers until the very end, we're just going to name some of the, I guess, victims as, like, Sorority Girl 1 and Sorority Girl 2. So we got Sorority Girl 1. She, I guess they kind of painted her as, like, the, I guess, virgin type, yeah, I guess. She was the good girl. She sure. was the good girl. Um, very controlling dad, but whatever. And she was planning on leaving for Christmas, and she just goes upstairs, and she gets whacked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so In the most disturbing way. I do yeah. want to throw out. Something I really do like is uh, is Clark has a quote about mm-hmm. this movie, mm-hmm. saying that based off of uh, on how he felt about how high school and college students are depicted in horror movies, mm-hmm. and it says uh, any sense in of reality in American films, and that he intended to capture the astuteness of young adults. College students, even in the nineteen se- in nineteen seventy four, are astute people. They're not fools. It's not all bikinis. Beach blankets and bingo. Yeah. I mean, and that's bringing up a good point because these girls are not stupid. Like, the dumb characters are mainly the cops and the adults. Well, see, you said Other than the other that... Now, I should have said cop, not cops. Yeah, because there's the one... Well, there's two cops that I would say fall into that because there's the one guy that... Oh, it's a new exchange. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. And then there's the other guy that can't stop laughing who just seems like a useless detective. Yeah. <laughs> but besides that, mm-hmm. I mean, it takes them a long time to get around to it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, mm-hmm. they are running through it as you would of a police case in the 1970s. Yeah. Because I don't see how they, watching the movie multiple times, I don't see how the cops would have been able to react any faster mm-hmm. and figure it all out except yeah. at the speed that they did it. Right. They were actually fairly efficient at their jobs. Yeah. Unlike a lot of cops in horror movies, these guys yeah. actually were effective. And I agree with that because the first thing that I said while watching this movie, I was like, this main cop is so stupid because they are like 
our friend's missing. Sorority girl number one is missing. And they're like, she's probably just hanging out with his, her, her boyfriend or something like that. And I was like, that's realistic at the time. And that was another thing that was connected to this film is because this was right at the time that Ted Bundy killed all those girls in the sorority house in Florida. So serial killers and kidnappings were still not a big thing yet. So her just disappearing was more likely going to happen just like hanging out like with her girlfriends or hanging out with her boyfriend, whatever, or just going home an oddball way instead of going with her dad is more realistic for that time in comparison to, oh, her actually getting whacked. It was very realistic for the time. And then um, just real quick, before we get too deep into this, yes. let's go ahead and talk about the cast. Yes. Because you want to talk about especially four of the leads are very well-known actresses mm -hmm. or actors and actresses mm -hmm. i should say first off we have olivia hussey who plays <laughs> jess she is the, the main girl yes yeah, she's, the, she's the main yeah she's the protagonist uh most well known for being in the horror circles audra dimbro in the 1990 it miniseries mm -hmm. so did i miss the spot where she's a, uh, a where she says she's from england or something no, she's, I did not... she's straight up British accent. No, yeah, no just... I get that. I'm just sitting there going, why Why is this American college, why Why is there just a Brit walking around? Why? I don't know. Because <laughs> she was... got cast in the movie, Phil. <laughs> I know, I get I get that she's British. I get <laughs> I, I understand how that works. I'm just saying. No idea. No idea. She really, really <laughs> likes this college. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> She really wants to go to college in America. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you have, I'm going to butcher this, here Delea, I want to say, plays mm -hmm. Peter, mm -hmm. Jess's boyfriend, best known as Dave from 2001, A Space mm -hmm. Odyssey. Yep. And, and that was you that pointed it out because I had no idea. I didn't make the connection. I was like, oh, okay. Yep. And then you've got Lois Lane herself, Margot Kidder. And then John Saxon. <clears throat> who plays Nancy's dad in Nightmare on Elm Street. He's just apparently really good police lieutenant. He's great. Like, he plays a <laughs> cop very well. He does. And his character in this film is called Lieutenant Fuller. Yeah. I love the way that he just, he plays a cop very well. Real quick, have either of you seen the, like, the professional picture of him back when he was real young? No. It looks straight like he's gonna murder you <laughs> oh that's frightening <laughs> he looks straight like he's gonna he's murder like, you yes you want like, a balloon <laughs> he looks like he's love you john's <laughs> jeffrey Dahmer. yeah r.i.p yeah but so those are the four biggest people yeah every everybody else is kind of a supporting character mm -hmm. but some like, of them are more supporting than others oh absolutely i think the only other one that i realized who they were it was um i think phyllis uh, played by Andrea Martin. She was actually in the reboot. She played the sorority mother in the reboot. I think it was like 2006 or something, Black Christmas. And also she is well-renowned in comedies and also starred in like My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So I knew who she was. And I was like, oh, I know who she, I know who she is. But yes, this this cast is good. And they, they do an overall, they do a good job. Everyone's believable. No yes. one is a ridiculous character. Yes. I mean, Billy's over the top, but yeah. he is 
psychologically unhinged than you expect him to be. They look genuine. It's not like we're watching a bad acting film where it's just like, I can't, what? You delivered that line like horrible, or I can't believe that you're actually crying right now or something like that. They don't go over the top. feels like a group of college kids. It really does. Okay, get back into the movie. So, Mm -hmm. like we said, you get your first call, first kill, and is it at the same time of the first kill or right after that we get introduced to the house mother? Probably between both, actually. You know, the house, house mother's the best. Yes. <laughs> That's why I wanted to bring her yes. up. Because she's the, she's the comedy relief in this yes. movie, which is really needed because... It's a this, slow movie. Yes. Well, it's a slow burn of a movie, but it's also... We were talking about it earlier. The cinematography is really well done, and it is dark. Mm-hmm. And confined and uncomfortable. Yes. And that's how most of the movie feels. Right. So when you have the moments of this older woman showing up and giving you a chance to breathe, mm-hmm. it is really welcome. Yes. <laughs> I completely agree with that. She brightens it up a little bit in the film and she just she breaks that tension just for a second and she's not annoying like no, what I would expect. She's actually funny. Yes. And it's just simple. She's a lush. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> she just wants to get her sherry on, uh, and that's it. Like, all over the house. Yeah. All over the house. I think my favorite aspect of her is just the level she goes to, you know, be the upstanding role model. So naturally, in the biggest book on the bookshelf, bottle of sherry. In her upstairs toilet, bottle of sherry. In her purse, when no one's looking, bottle of sherry. My, my, <laughs> my favorite form of that is when she's cussing up a storm at the cat. And then and he walks. It, yeah, and then it's just he's right there listening to the whole thing. Yeah, because oh, the whole okay. point is that she's been trying to play like this innocent old lady. In reality, she's like, I don't really care about. I don't. I can't watch all these girls. They can do whatever they want. Blah blah. blah. Here, I'm gonna take a drink. And then she's cussing at her cat. And then the one of the sorority girls' dads walks up, and he's just very like controlling. Yes. And oops. I really appreciate you giving me a ride, sir. <laughs> she just great. plays it off. And he's, he's just like, okay, hurry up, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so my highlight of this film is you brought up the cinematography. So do you want to go a little bit more into that? It's just you could tell that they were shooting in a real house. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I appreciated about that is there are some movies... There's some movies you can tell are shot on a set, but I really appreciate a film crew that knows how to operate with set walls. Yeah. It's hard to do right. Mm-hmm. And this is done well. Nothing's awkward. None of the shots don't work. Mm-hmm. There are a few slip-ups with boom mics. Well, that that's I, I wasn't going into that, but yeah, there's, there's two slip-ups on that. Uh, mm-hmm. Neither of Zach or Shelby noticed, and they saw the movie a lot more times than I have. So. Well... For me, it's in the scenes that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. You weren't focused on them. Not at all. It's yeah. stuff that you'd have to be dissecting the movie, looking for issues. And right. we just watched the movie more than once because we enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So, real quick, one of the reasons why the uh, it shot so well is, for example, uh, John Saxon. His statement on Clark as a uh, director is he meticulously drew out storyboards with key shots and everything, and then would bring them to the set. So, in John Saxon's words, I could understand exactly what I thought he needed and the scene needed. He took the time to do the work. Yeah. And yeah, he had a plan. 
Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I think we should do it this way. And it's like, no, we're going to do it this way. So he had a plan. It's always, it makes it a lot smoother that way. Well, yeah, I mean, if you can show an actor a sketch of what you want him to do. Right, especially when you have a seasoned actor like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, he'll most likely put his two cents in because that's what seasoned actors do. But if he is like, oh, he's got a plan. So okay. this is the I'm direction just... you want me to go in. Okay. Cool, let's do it. Yeah. Um, and to go off the cinematography, especially with that first like tracking shot, because the tracking shot, if you pay attention, is done like two different ways. One is a lot smoother and one is very jittery. And it was literally the cameraman put the camera on his back. And so he had, he put it on his shoulder. So it was eye level. And as he is walking up the stairs, walking up the stoop and goes a little bit to the doorway, it's mirroring Billy's eye. And right. that the way that it's both ways is because he's got a split personality. He's, he's changing his voice. And so when it goes back and forth from jittery and then just very smooth it's showing different personalities of him right because in more than one of the calls Mm -hmm. right at the very end Mm -hmm. his killer personality takes over yeah because the very end of the first call shows that and it's just the i'm going to kill you yeah he's very confident (laughs) and then first it's like uh no or there's times where he's even like begging like i don't want to do it anymore stop me blah, blah blah help me and then he's like no i'm confident i'm gonna kill you so I like I enjoy what they do with that, and also with the cinematography. They're very it's very minimalist. It is A majority of the rooms they don't even go into. You don't really need to see the whole room. You just need to see like the bed, and that's it. There's times where even the camera doesn't even move. It just goes back and forth from one shot to the other, and that's mm-hmm. it. So real quick though, like when Billy's climbing the, uh, the trellis mm-hmm. outside, they got that by having the. Uh, by strapping the camera to his shoulder. No, nope. That it's one was to a, his head. That right? one was to his head. Yeah. <laughs> he strapped it to his head and went. You're gonna climb that now. Yep. Huh? Well, that was actually his suggestion. He's like, I'll just strap it to my head. That way, my I have my hands free and I can climb because you actually see his hands. There are some of the shots though. You can tell he's holding it. Yeah. Because like he's when he comes down. When he comes down from the attic one time, you only ever see one of his hands. Yeah. So he's obviously holding a camera climbing down the ladder. Right, right. But it works because, mm-hmm. like you said, those POV shots, like, one of my favorite ones is when Margot Kidder's on the phone and he's just creeping down the hallway and peeking around the corner mm-hmm. and it just, you get that feeling that you're sneaking along with him and it's great. Or peeking through the, the attic door. It's just like just looking down the stairs and stuff like that. So the one scene with the closet, mm-hmm. that's actually done with a handheld camera in the closet. Mm-hmm. In the words, it was a total shock because I didn't really know when uh, when to expect him to jump out. So they didn't they didn't know anything. Yeah. They didn't know anything. I mean, some of the best reactions in the history of cinema are when. You set up a shot, you tell the actors what's going to happen, and then you don't do that. No. You surprise them. <laughs> wreck. Wreck mm-hmm. all day. Oh. Well, I'm sure we'll get there at some point, but the original Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. And I guess to go off of cinematography, my favorite thing was the lighting. It was just very minimal. A lot of darkness. They used just enough light. Yes. You didn't need to see, like, the wall decor. A lot of reds, saturations, a lot of browns, a lot of yellows. 
even though it didn't really have like that red and green Christmas feel. But I mean, I mean you be... just caught you caught the Christmas decorations, yeah. and they were listening to a Christmas album. Yeah, like they used a lot of warm lights, mm-hmm. a lot of tungsten mm-hmm. in uh, with what they did use. Mm-hmm. So to a lot of that, yeah, to even go off the warm lights, it's it's it is like a dramatic difference from as in comparison to Halloween. It's all blue lighting. Yeah, it's it, in Halloween. It's what it, I mean, it's technically white light, but it's a mm-hmm. uh, sixty-four thousand Kelvin, mm-hmm. whereas tungsten is thirty-five thousand Kelvin. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a lot cooler in uh, this, and mm-hmm. it creates it creates that orange light that you're talking about. I guess the other thing would be also again minimalism, the music, right. and lack of really a score. There's no right. Um, you have... The opening is just a still shot of the house, exterior of the house, and it's Oh Holy Night. It's just a generic version of Oh Holy Night, and I'm pretty sure... I forgot about this until now. It's the same song that they're playing at the end of the Christmas story. It's the exact same recording when the parents are literally sitting down, looking out the window, watching the snow. It's Oh Holy Night that's playing. It's the Mm. exact same recording. All right. But it's very minimum, even just like the big climax and the chase at the end. There's no music. There's no score, nothing. It's just natural sound. Screaming, walk running, things falling. That's all it is. It's building up the tension. You're you're waiting to hear Billy to say, it's me, Billy. Or him just breathing. Or even the cat meowing and walking around. That's it. I love how much of Billy is just like blamed on the cat. <laughs> Yeah. What's that noise? It's probably the cat. <laughs> Clark is his as, name. Yeah. As, as Billy's killing people, ah, it's the cat. It's fine. It's the cat. <laughs> I've never met a cat to just off everyone. Yep. Um. Well, I mean, I was gonna go with the lighting and the sound, but uh, or the lighting at least. Mm-hmm. But uh, now that y'all did that, I I guess I'm just gonna pick a scene that I really yeah, like. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Since y'all hopped on all all that interesting things. Beyond the fact that, like, doing minimalist research into this uh, film, you can find out a lot of very interesting things mm-hmm. about the actresses okay. and other actors. Like, apparently, they picked on Olivia Hussey real hard in this movie. Really? Yeah, because as Margot, uh, was it Margot uh, Kibber mm-hmm. stated? Margot Kidder. Mm-hmm. Kidder, sorry. Uh, she, Olivia Hussey was a bit of an odd one. She was obsessed with the idea of falling in love with... With Paul McCartney through her psyche. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, they were apparently real hard on her for that. <laughs> but, uh, but for me, um, strangely enough, it's one of at least one of them is the conversation between Jess and Peter. Okay. After Peter absolutely gives up on his recital, mm. that real mean- heavy conversation. Oh, when he comes, at, he surprises her while she's just getting off the phone. No, I was. Yeah. Uh, was she getting off the phone? I was talking about when she sits there and goes, oh, I'm pregnant. That oh, whole conversation. yes, after because, the recital. Okay, well, well, time out real yes. quick. Trigger warning, because this movie talks about abortion a lot. Yeah. So that, and I know that's a really rough topic for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But uh, the reason why I bring that up mm-hmm. is with this movie setting up a lot of tropes. Yes. The one thing I don't think it set up a lot, and we've talked about it in the past, or at mm-hmm. least Zach and I have, how horror movies tend to fall into that very conservative mindset of yes. the 
virgin is your hero and whatnot. And I, I like the fact that it takes on this heavy topic. I like the fact that our hero, the, the individual that we're rooting for, is dealing with something that's a real problem. That's yeah. real heavy. Mm-hmm. And it's not played off. I also like the fact that it sets up Peter as very possibly being Billy. Yeah, it's a red herring. Yeah, right. I really, I do like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, kill wise, I really liked the first kill. Yeah, a sorority, sorority, sorority girl, girl no one. one. <laughs> yeah. since, since I already gave it away accidentally. No, you're good. Uh, so well, I mean, we haven't talked about the kill specifically. Yeah. Well, no, I was saying I gave her, her name away earlier. It's, so fine. it's fine. Nobody's gonna notice <laughs> that first kill. I love what they did with the kill because again, it's let's go suffocation instead of I'm gonna stab you. But I like what they do because the whole point is he's playing with her body. He just stores in the attic, but he puts it on a rocking chair. He rocks the chair. He sings to her. He puts a doll in her lap. Mm-hmm. But it's that image of when she goes missing the next morning, her father visits, visits to come pick her up. And it's that shocking image of just right over her shoulder and you just see her just sitting there in front of the window and her dad's leaving and you can see her dad in the background and it's just terrible it's heart-wrenching because it's like dad i'm right here that 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 was my one big question with this movie is how did no one check the attic (laughs) well not even just check the well check the attic yes but how did no one see her like even with there's that, no shade, there's no curtain. Mm-hmm. She's just sitting in the window. Yeah. yeah. Even with that final shot where it takes from where she is and just pans out of the house mm-hmm. and everything, you should be able to see her. Right. Well, but it's a two-story house with the attic. I mean, realistically, how big is that window? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And you also got to remember, it's probably also like fogged out. Maybe, I'm not sure, but... Either way, what I like is you could really break down the concept of that attic in itself. Because when you really look at what's in the attic, it's like house stuff. It's like decorations, a rocking horse. Like, it's personal effects. So it's like, it brings up the point. It's like, did Billy pick this house because this was his house at some point? We don't know. That's a good point because it's definitely... Because we, we do go into the attic and we go into the basement. And the basement is similar has similar stuff. Because both of those look like unused portions of the house that are full of whoever owned or owns the house. Yeah. Like, Because somebody is obviously renting this house to the college. Yeah. And it's probably just their stuff. Why didn't they search the attic? They may have been asked by the owner not to go up there. True. The only time when it comes to the attic that it bothers me is at the very end. When it comes to the very end, when it's like, okay, why didn't you just check everywhere? And we'll bring that up a little bit later once we go into major spoiler territory. But what was your favorite kill? My favorite kill, I guess I'm I'm going back to the house mother because the hook kill is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I really like that one because it's quick, it's clean, and it's just done. And it's also, I mean, this is the second kill, and it's been 30 minutes. We're 40 minutes Well, that's the other thing. It's by, at this point, um, all of that atmosphere and tension that we were talking about has just been building and building and building, and the kill breaks it. And it just to be like, oh, it's worse than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. 
and it's a just it's a good moment in mm-hmm. the movie. So that's that's definitely my favorite. Um, I do like the first kill, and I just like the whole concept <coughs> of they do the kills in a good way where it just it messes with your head, and that. Because there's also, like, other things going on at the same time. Because you also got, they, they mentioned at the beginning of the film that a um, another girl, a townie, they call her, was sexually assaulted, like, out of town. And then um, that a little girl was found dead in the park. Because they actually go searching for sorority girl number one, and they find another person's body. You don't right. see anything, but it's your imagination that that it go because it's like oh my gosh like what what happened to the body like and it's the same thing with sorority girl number one like what was billy doing to her body well, well and it's all uh as it goes on and you get all the context clues and everything everything that's going on points to billy yeah like he's the rapist he's the murderer he's i fill in the blank i do want to uh say something mm-hmm. i find it interesting Obviously, because of the context of the movie, it's implied heavily that it's Billy. Yeah. That did those, the townie and the mm-hmm. townies and everything. Yeah. And, but in all reality, that could just be another whack job. It could have been. It could have been. And it could have been. I just like the, co- the idea. Also been simply, I was like, I'm not sure how much, how old the girl was that died in the park. It could have been Ten. simply, okay, so young girl. Yeah, she was young. Young girl walking through a park by herself in the winter. Sorry, not ten. She she was missing from the high school. She was, I think she was like fourteen. She was like okay. early high school. Still early young. high school. Yeah, still so young. young. So something could have happened, and easily she just like froze to death. I mean, it could have been something, or animals got her. We, we don't really know where this film is is set. We know that it's somewhere in America. It was it, shot in Toronto. This is a Canadian. Film. It will. It was so a moose. It, a moose got her. <laughs> so, I mean, it would be... The moose It'd be the northern U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until I have any evidence to prove otherwise, this is taking place in Wisconsin. Billy has a strong Wisconsin accent. So does the dumb cop. My bad. He doesn't have a Wisconsin accent. That cop's from Canada. 8,000%. True. Hey. <laughs> we love, we love f- Canadian films. <laughs> they make good horror movies. Yes, they do. To be fair... <laughs> Piece of accent information for you. Uh, the Wisconsin accent is more stereotypically Canadian mm-hmm. than the Canadian accent. <laughs> I guess also going back to the kills, yeah. I mean, you got Sorority Girl number two. So she's this, I'm not going to mention her name because I don't want to give too much away, but Sorority Girl number two, she's sleeping off a hangover because she's been drinking for the last 24 hours. Now. Why has she been drinking for the last 24 hours? This is important because there's also character building in this movie. Yeah. Because at the beginning of the movie, her mom calls. And she goes, yeah, I can't wait to see you. I've got stuff to take mm-hmm. care of. I'm going to catch the 7.30 or whatever train, train. tomorrow. I'm going to catch the train tomorrow evening into the city. And then it's, oh, you're hanging out with, you're just ditching me for a guy. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Yeah, I was definitely getting that, <laughs> like, because... One of the first things that she says when she's on the phone with her mom is like, no, I've only had a couple. And I wouldn't be surprised she's maybe also the black sheep of the family. And she might have a drinking problem. And as we see later on, I mean, she to the point where she's giving alcohol to children. Right. (laughs) Being very provocative. Oh, gosh. 
That made me think of the whole. Oh man, Santa I forgot. How, I forgot how much I loved that scene. Isn't Santa naughty? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As Santa just cussing to a kid yes. in front of him. Oh, sitting on his lap. Oh, so good. Yeah, but I like what they do. She's literally sleeping off a twenty-four hour binge. Has an asthma attack. Goes back to sleep, and then while Jess is downstairs, just. Just chilling because she has nowhere to go. She's not visiting family or anything well, I like mean, that. Her family doesn't live in the country. Yeah. She, where's she going? She's British. So <laughs> it's like whatever. So she listens to carolers. Carolers come to her house. Right. And she just opens the door and enjoys the scene. Yeah. They're singing um, some traditional song. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Either. And she's having her moment. They're very good singers, by the way. They do a good job. <laughs> and... These are the, these are the kids from a local choir. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and while she's distracted, Billy <clears throat> sneaks into the room of Sorority Girl Number Two, takes one of her glass unicorn figurines. Right, because she so she collects glass figurines, which uh-huh. is I'm sure very normal. Yeah, just, just and literally just stabs her to death, which is a great shot, by the way, as she's waking up. All you see is his silhouette, but just a highlight on his eyeball. And that is it. We well, do not see Billy at all. And the only thing you ever see of Billy are his hands and the and his eyes. Mm-hmm. You see a little bit of his legs, but they're from a distance, and it's very quick. But other than that, you see nothing. I mean, like, legs in, like, pants. You're, we're not seeing skin here. Oh, but, I mean, we don't... Man. I don't even think really quickly we really don't even see his hands. You do. You, you do. see his hands. You yeah. see his hands. Yes, but it's so quick, though. Well, but he's climbing and he's yeah. stabbing yeah. and attacking, etc. Yeah, they're in like the darkness too. Well, and one of the other things that speaks to Billy's psychology in this mm-hmm. is what he chooses to use. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to cinematography again. Because when they focus on the unicorn, they focus on the shape of the horn. Mm-hmm. So while Billy is killing her, this is obviously sexual for him. Yes, I was going to say the the weapon is his penis. Yes. Yeah, it's it seriously <laughs> is, and that also because um, also what he's saying and at this time he's going back to the phone calls because he's he's saying Agnes, and if you if you've seen the reboot of this film, they took the phone calls and went in a little bit more detail and gave Billy more of a backstory, and supposedly Agnes might have been his sister that he also like molested and stuff like that. So it's almost like. Oh my gosh, he's literally reenacting what he did to his potential sister. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I completely agree with that. But I, I also enjoyed because it, it just cuts back and forth to what's happening in the room. She's screaming, she's she's trying to fend him off, but then it's cutting back to Jess listening to the choir. So it's it's kind of like a perfect commudgeon of shots. Well and I appreciate how much they're showing Jess invested in the fact that she's on the front porch. Because mm-hmm. this movie actually answers a lot of logistical problems that she'll get in other lazier horror movies. You'd be like, well, why didn't she hear her screaming and everything? Well, there's an entire group singing basically right in her face, and right. she's outside. And they're loud, too. And so it's one yeah. of those. I I appreciate the fact that there's not a lot of, you know, plot holes in mm-hmm. this movie. Yeah, and then they also f- fix that too because one of the other sorority girls, sorority girl number three, 
she's pretty much like passed out on um, cold medicine upstairs. So she doesn't hear anything. She hears, she does make a comment because she does uh, wake up at some point when another phone call happens. And she's like, what was that yelling? And it's because sorority girl number two had an asthma attack and she kind of like freaked the heck out. So Jess automatically thinks that she heard that. But it's a possibility that sorority girl number three heard what happened. Mm -hmm. But she was, she's whacked out on pain medicine. So, or cold medicine. So, and they were all drinking. Yeah. yeah. And what do you get when you mix cold medicine and alcohol? A good time. (laughs) So, jumping back to the casting for a half a second, Mm -hmm. um, do either of you know Gilda Susan Radner? Gilda Radner? Yeah, Gilda Radner. Yeah, other than being Gene Wilder's wife, uh, she was originally supposed to play Phyllis. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, but after uh, some comments on SNL, she decided to back out of it. Oopsie. Huh. We've mentioned comedy elements a little bit. A little bit. (coughs) I wanted to bring up another one of the comedy elements that I really appreciated. was uh, the character of Sergeant Nash. Mm Mm-hmm. Who is a complete moron. Yes. But a delightful character. Mm-hmm. And my favorite part is when he asks for their, with him, is when he asks for their phone number. Yes. Because you get this exchange. It's, Sergeant, it's, excuse me, could you please give me the number to, to the sorority house? Yeah, sure. It's uh, fellatio, 20880. Fellatio. It's a new exchange, F-E. And he just doesn't. Get it. Yeah, he has no idea. <laughs> and that brick comes up later, and then the whole, like, just everybody's the whole making station. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I love what also Lieutenant Fuller, John Saxon's character, says. He's like, Nash, you seriously couldn't even pick your nose unless you had written instructions. It's like, seriously? <laughs> and I guess we can, that's like a perfect segue into John Saxon's character because he just does a, such a great job. He, he does. He plays a great cop. Like, even just the simple scene of when they're doing the search party, he's like, stay in your group. Don't. He, like, it's like where they probably cops were there and was like, this is what you need to say. Just be clear and cut with them. And he just does a great job. He's he's not beating around the bush. He asks the hard questions. And he's like, I'm not messing around with you, Jess. You need to be honest with me. And right. stuff. So he's not going to be like, oh, it's okay, honey. But no, he's he's a cop. Like, he's here to save the day. So I appreciate what they did with save him. Save the day. <laughs> save the day. <laughs> so, I guess uh, we can go into major spoiler territory to kind of end it off with just, like, the twist and the ending of the film. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. So Major spoilers. Spoiler, spoiler for the ending of the big twist of the film. So... Where you get the ending of the film is they bring in the tech guy. I don't remember the character's no. name. He worked for the uh, cable company. Yeah. Well, he worked for the cops. Yeah. He's a policeman. He's the police tech guy. But he comes in and literally wires a trace into their phone mm-hmm. because it's <laughs> 1974 and that's mm-hmm. how you do it. Yeah. He bugs so, the house. Yeah, so anytime <laughs> that they receive a phone call to the telephone downstairs, it will ring at the station she just needs to, Jess will have to keep the guy on the phone. And I feel. Until he can trace the call. I feel for the tech. Yeah. Because this shows clearly how tracing a call used to work. He's literally running down the banks of phone exchanges looking for movement. It seems like an awful job. And he eventually gets it. 
and like you said, we're getting the big twist. Once we get, it's it's call number three is mm-hmm. when they finally catch him. And the reason it takes him so long is somehow Billy has hooked it up to where he can make a phone inside the house ring because he's calling from the attic. Yeah. He's using the sorority mom's other extension and he's calling the house from inside of the house. So once they've traced the call and they're so like, he knows the Felicio number. Yes, he knows, he knows the. the yeah. <laughs> he knows the. He he's aware of the FE extension. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or the the FE exchange, I should right. say. <laughs> so at this point, John Saxon. I mean, John Saxon is is adamant that it is Peter. He oh. he is the he killer knows that because he has heard and Jess has told him that. I am pregnant with Peter's kid. I've told Peter that that she, want she wants to get rid of the child. Yeah. And there is also he John Saxon's character, Lieutenant Fuller, listens to a phone call between her and Peter, and he is crying like Billy would do, and telling her not to murder the baby. Well, I I gotta say she she doesn't use great terms with that whole situation either. Because she also uses the term murder and that she's going to kill it. She is very aware of what she's doing, and she doesn't seem to care about the kid right. at all. I don't think she really cares about Peter either. Because, like, Peter's like, I love you, and he's like, and she's like, I know. Uh-huh. She want, He wants to give up everything. Yeah. And she's like, nah, Well, I mean, son. obviously he wants to give up everything after he blows his... Uh, Recital. <laughs> And then later Destroy. uses a flag stand and destroys the conservatory's <laughs> piano. Yeah. yeah, I'm fairly certain you get kicked out of school after you destroy a uh, yeah. an expensive instrument like yeah, that. So to be fair, he didn't have much time to deal with those consequences. Nope. Yeah. So Peter is automatically on, and from the way that he, also he's acting, because we see as the care as the as the viewer also see him. Watching the house. And Just, he is super aggressive. Yes. <laughs> As we see from one of the phone calls and the way he acts, like, he, he just randomly is in the house at one point. He's upstairs, and he's like, I was upstairs taking a nap. And it's like, you just failed your recital, and I know this was your lifelong dream to be a concert pianist. And it's like, you just destroyed that dream, literally. By, yeah, you just burnt your future. Yes. And you're, <laughs> oh, I'm upstairs taking a nap. Okay, sounds a little uh, sounds a little Billy-ish to me. Split personality, maybe. Sus. Yeah. Sounds sus. So once they've realized, okay, the calls are coming from inside the house. Oh crap! What do we do? And then Lieutenant Fuller's like, "I need you to tell Jess to leave the house. Tell her calmly. If you screw up, I'm gonna kill you. I'll be there in like five minutes." Important part of that: tell Jess to leave the house. Don't tell her why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And what, is, what's what the, does he do? The first thing Nash does is, because he can't convince her because, as we, Nash is not the brightest bulb in the box. No. And so he cannot articulate calmly, you know, you should probably just go somewhere else for the night. It, at this point, just... It, it would have been very easy. Look, a lot of stuff has happened in that house tonight. Mm-hmm. Why don't you come down to the station? We'll find somewhere safe for you to stay. You know, it's just, it's a good idea if you just leave. No, he immediately, <clears throat> the killer's upstairs. It's just like, what is yeah. wrong with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I like about this in comparison to another, like, a stranger upstairs, um, 
is the house when a stranger calls. You, what I expected to happen is she freaks out. She looks up the stairs and the killer's coming upstairs. It's nothing. She just literally just goes by the door and she's yelling for her friend to come down the stairs. And that's, she's just like, come down the stairs. She's freaking out. This is the first time we're actually seeing her scared like genuinely like freaking she's broken at this point like she can't be good for the pregnancy exactly and then she's like okay she doesn't do what the cop says and she decides i'm just gonna go upstairs <laughs> right so she goes upstairs she goes into sorority girl number two's room and she's dead yeah both of them <laughs> sorority girl number oh, yeah. two and sorority girl number three have both been butchered to death and been posed in the bed we don't uh, the sorority girl number three kill is all off screen we don't see anything and then it's literally she's just standing there at the doorway and all of a sudden you just hear it's me billy and then it just cuts to looking through the door jam and it's just his eyeball and again i love that shot because it messes with your head because the whole point it's like okay peter's the red herring when we seen him in the daylight, Peter's got blue eyes. The eye is almost kind of like a mix because the way that the shadows fall, it's like blue around the edges, but right in the middle, it's like black, almost brown. And it's like, could is it Peter? Could be. We don't know. But that goes back to what Phil was saying and really appreciating the lighting mm-hmm. because they get just a perfect circle of light mm-hmm. on the eyeball. Mm-hmm. The lighting's really well done in that scene. Yep. I mean, she runs. She yeah. pops him with the yep. door and takes off down the stairs. Mm-hmm. And he screams and freaks out. And she locks herself in the basement. She's got a um, fire poker. Fire poker. Mm-hmm. And it's relatively quiet. This this whole chase scene is done within like a minute. She's locked. Billy has calmed down. And then it just cuts to Peter. Outside. Outside. Looking through the basement window, breaks and it breaks in. Yeah. So it's Peter's like, ultimate fate, I feel he had a big hand in what happened to him. Right. Because they have a brief exchange through the window. She's obviously freaking out. Mm-hmm. He's acting unhinged, and then he smashes the window. Yeah. Yeah, and I like, you he know. smashes the window. It's it's very unlikely that he actually saw her. He's literally looking through a frosted window. That basement is pitch black. It's and true. It, and it's like, you didn't see her. Don't give me that crap. And then he breaks the window and he's like, Jess, I've been looking everywhere for you. And it's like, what? Why are you acting so normal? This is weird. Take him out. And that's exactly what she does. She beats him to death with the poker. And we don't see anything. We just hear her scream, and right at that moment, John Saxon's character shows up. They break the door. You got Jess leaning against the wall. Peter is laying in her lap. His eyes are wide open. He's obviously dead, and it looks like she's dead, too, until she just wakes up. Well, yeah, and they're both covered in shock. Yeah. Yeah. She's in shock. And then that's it. I mean, it really just ends with the cops are there. Talking about when they can get Jess to talk. Yeah, they're she's like you're not gonna get to. She's completely to talk passed out. Yeah, she's completely passed out in her bed, and they just leave her. They leave her by herself 
other than a, co- a deputy's outside, and it just ends with the phone ringing. With the phone ringing, as we've seen that there's two bodies still in the attic that have well, not been found yet. Because it pans around the uh, the house, mm-hmm. and it goes back into the attic. Mm-hmm. You see the two bodies. You hear and you him hear, talking, and you hear Billy talking. Yeah. I don't remember the phone ringing. That's the why. phone rings all throughout the end credits. Yeah, the end credits, oh. and then it just eventually I, I stopped, stops. I stopped uh, as soon as it, it yeah. kind of hit the outside of the house. And I think it's uh, like the it does have a little <laughs> bit of music. No, it's done. It's um, no. I was thought thought it maybe it was like Silent Night or something mm-hmm. like that. It's literally just the phone ringing, and it's like, oh my gosh, is she going to answer it? Here's the only thing that bothers me about this film, Lieutenant Fuller knows that she's pregnant. She just went through this traumatic event. She just bludgeoned a guy to death. She should have gone to the hospital. Yeah, she wouldn't have stayed in the house. I don't care if it's the 70s. They would have... They would have taken her to the hospital. And they would be paying attention to her. Yeah, and also as they know that there was somebody in the house and there was people staying upstairs and they didn't notice anything, they would have done a more extensive search in the house. I will say that... I think it was to leave that cliffhanger ending. Yes. But all of a sudden, at the very end of the movie, this, like we were saying, the cops just stopped doing their jobs. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think it's because also they were worried about um, the visiting father. He's also there at the end, and he just all of a sudden faints. And I think they just freak out, and they get him to the hospital. And it's like, I don't care about him. I care about her. <laughs> So I don't know if that maybe was their excuse on it, but that was the only thing that bothered me. It's like, she should have went to the hospital. I won't lie. During that whole uh, panning scene and everything, mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to go back upstairs with and have Billy up there. Yeah, yeah. I was expecting for Billy to be like... Just come out of the dark. Under the, under the bed, you just see an eye or something, or something like that. And yeah. implying that Jess dies. Yeah. That's what I was expecting. I yeah. mean... Just the way the whole movie is set up, I would think that the phone ringing at the end of the credits implies that Jess is going to get killed. Yeah. Probably. Because Lieutenant Fuller is going to go back to the house, or he's going to send one of his uniforms. They're going to find her body. Mm-hmm. And then I think at that point, once she's dead, they're going to search the house. But the way the Billy character is set up, I believe that if he eliminates everyone in the house, he's mm-hmm. going to go somewhere else. Yeah. So if everybody's dead. Now, he might take sorority girl number one with him. Yeah. Like, he might take her body because he doesn't want to lose his new toy. Exactly. But I don't think he's going to hang out once everybody's dead because then what's the point? There's no mm-hmm. one left to play with. So I think they would find most of the bodies. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all of them. Yeah, eventually, I mean, obviously, when the weather changes, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> going they're, they're, they're gonna to notice. That's Black Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> now, I enjoy this movie. I was so excited to see this movie because I've seen the re... I saw the reboot, like, I think at the exact same time that it came out. And I was like, oh, this is different. You have a horror movie set around Christmas. And I thought it was okay. Pretty much exactly how I said before. It's they took the phone calls and they gave him more of a backstory. His name was Billy. He yes. had a horrible childhood. Agnes was his, like, sister-slash-daughter, because there's, like, incest in play. And, I mean, that was his house, and it's been turned into a sorority house. So, they just took... And and, and, I'm, and Bob Clark even helped with that film. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a good part. I think it's okay, but it's... 
it's a it's a little jumpy. It it does a lot of flashbacks to the present and stuff like that. So it's one of those things where it's okay, you're paying a lot of homage to the original movie. Mm-hmm. You're trying, but once you've seen this original movie, that two thousands remake for me is just really thin comparative. Yeah. Yeah, and it's then just I'm, all it is is gore. That's all, really all it is. Let's make Billy a cannibal. Okay. <laughs> and why in the remake, Billy is made of jaundice. Yeah. Like, He's what yellow. is going on? Yeah. I, I know they explain it. I haven't seen that movie in years because mm-hmm. I didn't really like it. Yeah. Like you said, it's passable. It's a horror movie. Yeah. But it it's not something I want to revisit. Yeah. It's definitely not something I would have watched... What, I think I got through this movie like two and a half times over the last week? It's not something I'm going to watch multiple times in a week. No. And then HBO remade it. It was either this year or last year. So either 2020 or 2021, there's a third Black Christmas movie. But I've heard that it is very social justice-y and just kind of awful in those sorts of ways and is almost completely disconnected from the first two movies. It just reuses the name because in horror circles black christmas is a well-known film and it'll get attention phil any last words on the film perfect timing honestly i i went into this movie never seeing it before and honestly i didn't know what to expect and i was the least excited out of the three of us and it it surprised me it was a lot better than i expected it to be it was it was a slow burn, but it was a lot of fun. So watch it. Yes. Or else. Yeah. Or else if, Billy will come for you. <laughs> this is definitely one of those, especially if you're a fan of the uh, slasher subgenre, go watch this because, like we said at the front, this is kind of like the granddad of all of the slasher movies that you love. Yeah. Because you will pick up a lot of the tropes, a lot of camera angles, a lot of things are have been reused, and I'm promise if you watched a slasher movie that came out within the last three years you would probably still be picking up the influence of black christmas it's just one of those movies that i think we're always going to feel Mm -hmm. its presence just because it came so early it's you you can't help but compare it to things or compare things to it i should say now it's time for horror news so still going with the christmas theme Looks like there's an upcoming documentary called Yuletide Horror. It's coming out next year. Or actually, no, it's 2023. Um, pretty much it's exploring just like killer Santas and explore Christmas horror, folklore, and cinema. And some, I guess, highlights that they're going to be looking at are, I guess, there's an uh, episode of Tales from the Crypt that's Christmas-themed, uh, Christmas Evil, never heard of that, and Silent Night, Deadly Night. I haven't I, seen that one. Honestly. That, again, well, I think we brought it up when we did Santa Slay. It literally is Killer Santa, but it's a different type of Killer Santa. It's it's on my list of to watch. Um, looks like this might be directed by Ethan Evans, co-produced by Jess Bartlett and Kieran Nolan Jones. Yep, and it should be coming in 2023. So apparently uh, a movie called Antlers is coming out uh digital digital came out december oh no uh on it's december 20 yeah december 21st is digital blu-ray it will be uh 
Blu-ray and DVD will be January fourth, twenty twenty-two. So it's <laughs> DVD, but it's uh. So it's out. Yeah. yeah. It's directed by Scott Cooper and produced by uh, Guillermo, Guillermo del, del Toro. Toro. Words, Phil, you can do them. Yep. Who um, did Hellboy, Crimson Peak, Creature Feature Guy. Yeah. The Shape of this, Water. This is another creature. Classic guy. <laughs> Pan, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. This is another creature feature. And honestly, what caught me was the image of the Wendigo that it has that Del Toro um, designed. You all, did you all see that? Mm-hmm. It's. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah. yeah. He so is just, I might be looking he knows hard how to that. do his creatures. And have you seen his house? They're filled with them. <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps the models, and I love it. I guess plans for January. I think we plan to do more of, like, wintry horror. So if you have any suggestions. We are definitely thinking about Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. And probably either the uh, Stephen King's The Shining or Misery. Or seven, va- uh, seven golden vampires. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> That'll happen eventually. That'll just be a fun distraction. Yes. <laughs> but um, for me, I think I would rather either do The Thing or Misery. <clears throat> as much as I like Kubrick's uh, take on The Shining, mm-hmm. my favorite person that hates that movie, Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> he can't stand it. Well, mainly because he changes the ending. Yeah. But, but those um, are... Those yeah. are the plans, doing especially as we're still in the winter time. Going to do some more wintry horror, do some like New Year's horror. I think the only New Year's horror that I can think of off the top of my head is Terror Train. It's the only one, but I think there's another one, but I can't. I'd be thrilled to do Terror Train because that's another Scream Queen movie, and oh, I yeah. love those. Yeah, it's great. Jamie Lee Curtis. Exactly. In Canada. In Canada. <laughs> Go on. Look. This is the Canada podcast, okay? Look. You know Ooh. what? I figured out what we are. We are the low-budget Canadian horror movie podcast. Exactly. We love those. Give me a second. Give me a second. <laughs> Darn it, this was USA. I don't know if we can do it. No. 1980s New Year's Evil. Okay. I mean, we'll talk about it. We'll figure out what we do. We're just going to keep keep the podcast rolling. Yep. Look at more movies. I think we should try to get into do a comic series because yeah. we haven't talked about comics or books yet. Yeah. So I... I know you want to do Nailbiter. Well, I've thrown out Nailbiter. I'm currently reading through Lock and Key, which is heavy Lovecraft based, and it is really good. See, and I'm down with Lock and Key because let's just swing it back to the King family. Mm-hmm. Written... Solely by Joel Joe Hill, yeah. who is Stephen King's eldest son. Yeah. So I would be interested in either of those two. Okay. Should we do a poll? Or I mean, we're gonna. You, we, yeah. Do you think anyone will care care about it? I don't know. We could pick four. I mean, like Ch- Chilling Tales of Sabrina. You have the complete oh, collection yeah. on that. That one was a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we can. We'll find another horror comic series or short that maybe witches or something. Oh yeah, witches yeah. would be good too. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we'll put out a poll. We'll give you all four choices because mm-hmm. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. All right, this is Phil. This is Shelby. This is Zach. Stay spooky. Merry Christmas.